Good morning, Hillsdale, and to all our listeners around the world. Good to be with you on this Tuesday morning. You're listening to American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. And my name's Ben Dietrich. And on today's show, what we wanted to do was talk about literature a bit. This is something we've been talking about doing for a long time, which is taking literature, looking at what the past can offer and teach us about some of the problems we have in the present. And there's nobody I'd rather have talk about that with us than uh, Matthew Meehan. He's the Director of Academic Programs and the, a Worsham Teaching Fellow for Hillsdale in D.C. He taught me a, a class back in, when we were in D.C. doing the show there, actually. That was around last year at this time. Mm-hmm. So um, now uh, Dr. Meehan is on campus today. He did a, a CCA speech, and by the time you're hearing this, this will be a, a couple days past. You can listen to that on Facebook. But Dr. Meehan, thank you for joining us. No, thanks for having me, Ben. So what do you, have you got for us today, and um, how do you think, uh, what, what's the big message that, that you would say behind it before we get into the details and the nitty-gritty? So what we're going to look at is a poem called The Ideal, uh, translated into the English from the French by the French poet Charles Baudelaire from the 1800s, 1857 is when it came out. Uh, and, you know, the big sort of uh, headline, I think, is when you let go of all of the most important philosophical premises of Western Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian uh, philosophy, theology, truth, um, what you're left with is something pretty dark, uh, but not irrational given their starting point. So if you reject those things, you have to take a different starting point. And then they try to reason. And what you get is, I think, a kind of explanation of some of the really weird and sad social decay we see today, sort of playing itself out, but here in the mind of a brilliant poet 150 years before. And just for our audience that might not be as familiar with everything that we learn at Hillsdale, you know, for those at home that are trying to learn more, what exactly would you define as like the Western philosophical ideal, you know, th- that would be in opposition to this, this poem and the, the things that he's trying to, to attack here? Well, the title of the poem, and we'll read it in a little bit, but yeah. the title of the poem, The Ideal, uh, when, you, when you put forward an ideal, you're talking about, okay, there's a perfection of something. Like, you know, we have, we have Mr. Universe, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, like the perfect body build, right? Or you think of uh, the David, this perfect sculpture of a, a man contemplating action, right? This is a, a beautiful ideal of a perfect man with a perfect body who's perfectly engaged in contemplation but also practical wisdom, and he's about to leap in and fight Goliath and become king. So these, these sort of, this so, is what a man is, this is what a woman is, this is what... A per- the perfection of something, be, which would be, in some sense, the end of it, right? That's right. The telos is the old Greek term for that. But for you to have a telos, you'd have to have a certain nature with certain rules, and therefore those would have to be perfected and brought to their full maturation. All aiming at some higher thing. That's right. And you'd also have to have a mind that can see something that's not just the piece of meat in front of you. Right. There's, and it, an, there's an actual spiritual, mental ideal. So you, when you do tele, teleology, you go right into immortal soul, human mind, yeah. the divine, like all of the immaterial reality that is treasured by right. the West. Yeah. And, and, you know, for our listeners out there, I want to make sure that we break this down as, as much as possible so we can make it accessible to as many people right. as possible. 
Um, and, you know, really th- at the end of that, I think is, you know, we're, I think we feel like we're stealing a little bit from Aristotle here because he kind of explains the whole idea of what a perfection of something is he that leads up to an he, end he, and at the highest end is the good. And so we're talking about objective good and ob- objective truth here, correct? Yes. But you, but again, you cannot have it if you like, you cannot have it if you do not have a mind, right? You can't, you can't see it, right? You can't pursue it for the human good, right? There's, and, and beyond that, there has to be some sort of uh, ability to discern the nature of something. So reason has to be operating in a way that's beyond the animal, right? That's, that's the spark of the divine in us. Spark of the divine in us. I like that. Um, so now we're going to, we're going to go low. And we're going to go into the world of the moral relativists, the world of those that, uh, in your own words in our pre-interview, uh, hold nothing other to the values of just time itself. Um, yeah, their God is Kronos. Their God is time, uh, which flux, change, uh, the warp and woof, stuff yeah. and drong. It's So bring me down to the underworld, <laughs> well, why Dr. Mead. Why don't we read the ideal? Let's do it. Uh, and before we do, just it came from a book called... Uh, the fleur de mal, the, the flowers of evil, uh, and uh, it was published in 1857, and much of French society and European society was disgusted because it was sort of lewd, dark, violent, creepy, strange, but deeply sort of wildly romantic and passionate. Hmm. Um, and 1857, that's not too long ago. Yeah, no. And after he died, the work became much more popular and just continued to sort of snowball, and now it's considered a kind of classic. And I will stand up for the poem as Baudelaire's craft is amazing. Now, we're reading an English translation, but it's actually quite a good translation. He's one of the great masters of the craft. To what end is a whole other question. So, The Ideal by Charles Baudelaire, English translation. It could ne'er be those beauties of ivory vignettes, the very display of a worthless age, nor puppet-like figures with castanets that ever an art like mine could engage. I leave to Gavarni, the poet of Chlorosis, his hospital beauties and troops that whirl, for I cannot discover amid his pale roses a flower to resemble my scarlet ideal. Since... What for this fathomless heart I require is Lady Macbeth, you, in crime so dire, an Aeschylus dream transposed from the south, or thee, O great knight of Michelangelo born, who so so calmly thy limbs in strange posture hath drawn, whose allurements are framed for a titan's mouth. Hmm. So for... Listeners joining us, we're going to put this poem up on our Facebook page, American View WRFH, if you want to look at it as we talk through it. Um, I, I think it's nice to have it in front of you as well. But wow. So what what's happening right here? And, you know, first off, the words that I didn't understand the first time I read it, I got to ask you, um, what are chlor- chlor- what is chlorosis and who is Gavar- Gavarni? I think Macbeth is a little bit more of a common known figure. Right. We know Lady Macbeth. Uh, Gavarni is a, an artist featuring a lot of pencil sketch and sort of black and white pen and ink and pencil work. Um, and he was famous for these sorts of stern, still, cold, quiet, commanding beauties that men would sort of bow before and sort of be slain by their sort of moral, exquisite excellence. 
sort of, you know, firm women in petticoats sternly looking with pursed lips Mm -hmm. uh, and chaste buns, you know, that kind of sort of very strict uh, pale beauty. And chlorosis is actually anemia. So it's a loss or lack of iron in the blood turning you Mm. green and pale. So he's just really pushing hard on don't give me pale hospital gown beauties. I don't Before want that. white roses. Yeah. And so that comes in the second stanza. Now, it's four stanzas here. It's, it's, a, it's a sonnet, correct? Mm-hmm. And in the first stanza, he talks and says, he says before he's going to dismiss Gavarni and say, I'll leave that to him. He talks about ivory vignettes, um, puppet-like figures with castanets. And he says, that, that can't be the ideal either. What, what's the symbolism behind that? So in the first stanza, he sort of puts up two different sort of shallow ideals. Ivory vignettes, you think of like street sculpture. Uh, and you're not even sure if he's talking about a feminine ideal until later. But it turns out sort of like, you know, almost like a Hallmark precious moments of sort of like a beautiful woman or something. It's like just cheap tchotchke, right? Yeah. He's like, I, that's sort of like, I don't care. Like, yeah, it's graceful, but it's boring and lame. Uh, or he says, what about the puppet-like figures with castanets, sort of the castanets, a southern woman of, of the Iberian Peninsula, sort of the more the, the, the Mediterranean passionate woman, but it's really just like a little figurine. You pull the string and she you know, plays the castanets. These are garbage, street art, nothing, trash, right? One's a prim, you know, ivory, passive, and the other is active, you know, sort of assertive, passionate. But they're both just garbage and cheap. Then in the second stanza, he starts elaborating on the sort of ivory beauty in a more powerful way. But he still says, yeah, no, it's not my scarlet ideal. And then in the third stanza, he tells us what his scarlet ideal is. And it's really startling. Since what from this fathomless heart I require is Lady Macbeth, you in crime so dire. Now, the meter here is completely interrupted. He Before, he had this very kind of sing-songy back-and-forth meter that was very lame because these were lame ideas. Mm-hmm. But then when he gets to her, Lady Macbeth, he just destroys the meter and it becomes completely irregular. She she is a woman as well in some sense. Yeah, you know? she's a, she's Scots, a Scot, Scottish woman, a Scottish uh, lady. Lady, yeah, not a queen, I guess. Yeah. And, just yet, but but well, she is a queen for a little while. Yeah. Once Macbeth kills yeah. Duncan, and she smears the blood of her king all over the guards to frame them. She's the real villain in that. In that yeah, Shakespearean. But, but she's also plot. yeah, exactly. She's sort of the engine of ambition and murder behind Macbeth. Although Macbeth, you find, you realize he has his own issues. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's, he's a tyrant in his own yeah. right. But she, the idea of her, a pale Scotswoman covered in blood that's white and red that's the Gavarni hospital beauty and the sort of flush of passion the sort of when you think of a flush of passion you think of red a scarlet ideal so he's not rejecting the images that you see in the first stanzas as much no he's what he's trying to say is all of these contemporary accounts of beauty all agree with me that the real ideal is not some perfection of idealized beauty you're actually seeking something else and that's right. what he reveals in these last two stanzas and it gets darker as it goes on yeah right? but lady macbeth in crime so dire that's my ideal i want to see a, a beautiful woman in murder covered in blood 
I want to see white and red together. And she's also, that's in Crime So Dire, what he knows and what he knows we know is, yeah, she's in this triumph of, of crazy ambition and passion and blood, bloodlust, really. But she winds up becoming the pale beauty, right? Shrinking and dying like her conscience can't handle it. And she's constantly trying to clean her hands. And she mm. she fades away like those hospital beauties of chlorosis. So he's like, I want to see you in your flush, but it's Lady Macbeth. It's not some random woman who doesn't know the future of, I know you're going to die. I know you're going to pass away. I love the fact that you have a flashing moment of power and you're going to fall away. And that in, its, in and of itself is worth it. Yeah. Which is, you're like, no, why would someone write a poem? Like, that's just dark. Why would you do that? But he says, he goes, on the last violence that has no other purpose other than the sake of the violence and the ambitious act itself, but even though it's going to ultimately end. Well, and it's not just for the sake of the violence. It's to feel something powerful and heightened, right? It's sort of this desire for That is the ideal for him. (laughs) That is as high as it gets. Because, well, if you don't have a mind then all you really have is the sensations that come through the body. It's kind of animal-like. Yeah. Um, Imagination, right? Sort of like imagination inflamed by transgression and sin is like this powerful ideal. So that was the the third city. So let's go down to the fourth. It talks about Michelangelo and uh, the uh, knight of Michelangelo. Yeah, and he he, so he, he said, Lady Macbeth is my ideal. He says, or... Or Great Night by of Michelangelo born, which is another ivory vignette, but the best of the best, right? A beautiful uh, marble statue, um, but it's not a perfect ideal of a woman. It's the goddess Night, and she's sort of tortured and twisted, and her arms are turned, and her leg is off. But nevertheless, it's one of those very beautiful uh, marble statues of a perfect feminine ideal. So you're like, oh, so he's taking it all back. But the reason, right. I think the beauty he sees in it is different than perhaps. Yeah, he first he doesn't want the balance. He wants her straining and disordered in right. some way, like really you know, sort of suffering the ravages. And by the way, the choice of night, i.e. night and day, yeah. symbols of change and things passing away. Night hmm. is a symbol of death, destruction, the wow. end of day. But then he says... Uh, who so calmly thy lim- limbs in strange posture hath drawn, whose allurements are framed for a titan's mouth. The titan's mouth is an image which he would have had, Goya's Kronos, uh, which is a horrible, frightening, it's beautifully executed, but it's a frightening painting of Kronos eating one of his children, right? The famous titan who didn't want anyone else to hmm. rule. And so time... Right, you know, Father that, Time, the really darkest version of Father Time, eating his own young, right? Yeah, eating the things that were created out of the world of time. So he's like, okay, maybe not Lady Macbeth in murder because she'll has to pass away too. Why not one of those beautiful ivory ideals? But I want it to be being eaten by time. Right. I want to see it falling. I, like the only joy is the bittersweet joy of falling leaves, of things passing away, of death. Because if there is no eternals, if there's no ideals, if there's no constants, no natures, no immortal soul, therefore no heaven, no God, none of these things that are the constants, right, nature, then the only thing that's ideal is 
recognizing that. That's philosophy. That's the height of man's reasoning capability is to realize there's nothing but the fact that everything's passing away. So the ideal would be watching the violations of nature. What he finds that sensation is something that most would consider very dark. Most. Yeah. And, and, you know, for those of you joining us right now, you're listening to Matthew Meehan. He's here um, with us in the D.C. or excuse me, the Hillsdale campus today. (laughs) In the past, we've been speaking at the D.C. campus, but today he's in Hillsdale, Michigan. This is American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. So, you know, that's a very dark place you've just taken us to. How how do we get there is is yes, the night, first folks. thing. <laughs> yeah, we can't leave it <laughs> yeah, there. Don't worry. That's right. We're not going anywhere, folks. But no, you know, how do we get there? And you know, I want to start go, to going back to the the first stanza that you see in this poem. Um, this is something that sparked a lot of conversation in the pre-interview. Is just you know what he first dismisses as as an ideal. Um, is this an accurate depiction of the way that, you know, those who believe in objective truth or those who would disagree with him would would take the stance that, you know, that the good can be found in ivory vignettes and public-like figures with castanets? Or has he already started to kind of, you know, manipulate and twist um, what that good is? And if so, where is he getting that from? Well, in terms of where he's getting it from, I think the implicit critique is all of you old guards still holding on to ideals. It's played out. You've you've sold out. It's it's completely. It's now you're just cashing in on merchandise. You don't even believe it. You don't care. This is garbage, right? This street tchotchke. So there's that. That sort of the idea of the institutions, you know, the church, the university, you know, law, philosophy. Like no one really cares anymore. It's, but it almost seems there's like that. But yeah. But there's also just. He's actually like if you if you take that as he's going after people like Gavarni, who are actual modern artists, he's saying, You guys have my principles. You don't really think there's any ideal. You've just chosen a particular kind of ideal, right? But really it's it's you've got to push it to its limit. You gotta take so this philosophy it seems all the like way to its end. He's not really talking to those that bro- believe in a strict sense of objective truth or, you know, in um for instance, like, you know, actually believe in, like, the the virtues found in, like, um, in feminism, so to speak, uh, in, in the feminine person, that he's really attacking those that might not be completely on board with the ideas of Western civilization, um, but have already started to depart from it because of the way he criticizes kind of a hollowed look at what ideals are to start with. Yes and no. I, I Definitely he's doing that. He's, but he's also people like supposing you'd said like, yeah, David, the David is the ideal. And he goes, those little Davids that they sell in Florence, right on the street, right? Or the Statue of Liberty they sell, these little figurines. Here's what that really is, right? As opposed to those are just commemorations of a real ideal that's beautiful. He's saying, no, these are actually part of this like sickly concern for these poets of chlorosis, right? So he takes the old, beautiful art that everyone's been merchandising, and then he syncs it up with Gavarni's sort of these pale, uh, very modern ideals of something like overly sternly passing away, right? Not the sort of beautiful uh, womanly, not an Aphrodite, not a not an Athena, not a Virgin Mary, none of those sorts of 
feminine ideals of strength, beauty, order, proportion, uh, virtue, um, sanctity, none of those things. Um, so he kind of does a little bait and switch uh, with it and, and, and gets both. He both actually deals with the moderns who have sold out and then gets you to feel like even if you were really commemorating the real ideals of the West, you've sold out too and you're just like Gavarni and, right. and the others. It's a complicated argument, but it's so subtle and it's so dirty. Like it's just, but it's exquisite. Like you're watching him work. You're like, whoa, right. you're wow. really you're really pushing this to its limit. For me, the, 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 the thing that strikes me is it's actually a kind of, it's a, it's a sort of passionate, but rational response. Rational is, doesn't make any sense in a certain sense in this, in this, in this way, but it's, it's thought out at least that like, look, if there's no God, if there's no immortal soul, if there's no mind, then all there is is various techniques of having heightened sensations that aren't aren't authentic and are ultimately you know lead to destruction. Yeah, Pretty so into, you know interior in, within yourself and in the world around you. I want to talk more about this. We got to take a quick break here. Let's do it. We'll come back and we'll discuss this more and how this applies to a lot of the issues you see in the real world today. All right here on American View. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American View on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. Matthew Meehan's with us today, Director of Academic Programs. If you're just joining us, you can listen to the full interview online at American View, WRFH on Facebook or on Spotify or on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud. We're all over the place. Um, Dr. Meehan, thank you. So we're talking about the ideal by Charles Baudelaire um, and the kind of the dark, vicious purpose that he gets from life. Um, in actions that are based on a world in which because time is really the only thing that that's that because time is constantly moving um, the choices you make the decisions you make it seems almost um, it doesn't really matter what destruction they cause as long as you're getting something personally out of it is that correct yeah I mean he has elsewhere he has a sort of social dynamic to this where he sets up the ideal uh, which he actually says, we, you know, like the, 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 the ancient Greeks said the philosopher was the ideal. Uh, the Roman tradition said that the orator statesman was the ideal. The Christian tradition said that the sort of the, the theologian saint or the, you know, statesman saint, sort of they split the difference, but the saint in whichever of those two callings you have. Right. Right. Those kinds of... Um, Ideals have been floating around. So, and, but but he puts forward the dandy, which is a sort of handsomely dressed man, uh, who he but but very simply dressed, almost like a fallen aristocratic lord. He says like a sort of the end of days for some aristocratic house, and his whole thing is to stand aloof 
from the various sort of pleasures and passions except to pursue them wildly and exquisitely in such a way that he deliberately um, creates a startling impression in others. That is to say, he has a leadership role for this worldview that's social in its way, but essentially it's you privately pursue like exquisitely extravagant and take pleasure super seriously and do it in such a way that everyone else is sort of marveled and surprised and full of either agony and ecstasy, right. but that they make an well, impression, and, you know, and which that is just sort of duplicating the same thing yeah, for other people. That mindset, I think, especially when you think about the real world application of it today, I mean, it has a range of, you know, both the milder version of where that would lead you and versus the extreme, which you see in this poem. And like you're talking about, like the idea, the concept of the image, the, the painting, I forget what it was called, where he, he's literally eating his own yeah, candy. Goya's Goya. Kronos. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's the really dark kind of vicious side of it when the when it's really, you know, Lady Macbeth, the blood arrow in her hands. You know, that's the extreme. But on the other sense, you do have, I think, even in our culture today, those that, you know, ironically, probably most so in Europe, where this poem, you know, in France, where the, places like that, where this poem was written, where you see a culture where people are often living their lives guided by passions, um, more so than the permanent things, the, the sense that everything and, and, is temporary. And, and very much uh, seeing interesting and powerful experiences of the physical and material and, you know, sensible world as like the fundamental thing. Right. Think of an iPhone well, yeah, some people, 15 commercial. Some people, you right? know. It's all about like, I'm looking at this sunset and I'm feeling this and I'm having the moment of my life and I get to record it. Yeah. You know, like, but it's like impressions of certain moments. Some people are the. the that's the purpose of your life. Yeah. Some, some are the jokers of the world who go around, you know, committing atrocious acts of violence and, you know, draw the humor of it. That's probably more extreme. But even in American culture today, you see that with. Unfortunately, you know, the amount of school shootings and all these acts of violence that occur that are really seem to be in some sense to draw attention upon themselves. But then on the other hand, you know, on a much milder sense, talking about experiences, you know, you used a much more milder one, the one with the iPhone. I think about our culture that, you know, where so many people take you know drugs, you know, they have their acid trip to get a experience of the world that they think is going right. to, that, that's like Timothy for them. Leary, is, that sort of 60s. Yeah, drug experience you know right? there's have that a, side of have a powerful and overwhelming experience you know and it's it's all rooted in the senses which is material in, in some sense it's or it's a, it's it's not as high as, as you can get in terms of human pleasure it's a lower pleasure yeah it's it's far from it's far from the sorts of ideals which have to do with striving in virtue prudence contemplation holiness platonic ecstasies prayer Moses on the mountain with God, uh, David in prudent counsel, uh, Odysseus making the right moves at, at court, those kinds of ideals of using the human mind and body together in so, some excellent way. It's the opposite. Right. It's, it's, it's literally the, the entire upper story of what man is, is cut off. Yeah. And, you know, Dr. Meehan right now is on here on campus today. He's giving, or he gave a talk about Thomas More's Utopia. And my understanding from at least what you taught in the class about this, the class that I took, was that he describes a utopia, something that is wrong and, and I think contrary to you know ideas that won't really work with human nature. 
but that it, in reality, in describing this like utopia, this form of socialism, early socialism, he's mocking it. Do you think Baudelaire does this here, or is he really absorbed in it? Um, is he, you know, mocking? Is he trying to let readers know this is what happens when you go from, you know, mild subjectivism, living for the current pleasures, ridding yourself of any sense of God, to this is what happens, or is this really what he believes in? I think it's what he believes in mostly, but there is this this added, you have to attend to the work of the poet. You, reading that, go, if you understood it the first time, and we had to walk through it to get the full impression, yeah. but a reader at the time would have understood it more easily, more quickly. Um, yeah. I think because it would have known so darn who so much more is. smart. <laughs> well, they just they also have the context. Yeah. yeah, but but uh, but he's creating that kind of impression in us when we read it. We're like, what? You're a de- what? Lady Macbeth murdering somebody? Like what? Do you- <gasps> yeah, he just did it to you. So he's like, aha, see, I got you to have the feelies. Right. Like, I gave you this powerful experience of reading this creepy thing in it. My imagination is now seeing a beautiful image of a of a of a marble statue but really of a kind of like perfect woman being now d- devoured in the mouth of a god like what kind of creepy weird death love change uh, crushing ideals falling away from perfections violations those are all designed to get the blood up get you sort of like choked in the throat like it's using the imagination to give you really powerful feelings. I, I, so, so the point is, not only does he think that's all there is, he thinks that if you're truly great, the greatest one is one who knows that's all there is, experiences it for themselves, but also gives it to others as a gift. So there's sort of this like implicitly gosh. creepy charity. Like, here, I'm writing the poem for you so you can have a little of what I know is the yeah. best. And I, I got to admit, all that's pretty scary. I can't decide if what's scarier is the ideas that he espouses in this poem or the fact that today, you know, I think even in our culture today, like you were describing, we we are kind of infatuated with looking at cases or case studies of people, whether fictional or real-world characters, that just go down the drain in terms of become these really super vicious people and the motivations they take for their actions. And yet it seems that our society and our culture today lacks the skills to be able to or the tools to explain or to, where this comes from or to build the actual comic count contrary images yeah right it's all we what, can what show you how somebody goes down how do you go up how do you go up right and she's like well there's lots of comedy out there mm, right there's not there's humor yeah right but it's usually sarcasm it's tearing it's critical it's satirical and you know you think about the movie today most of the time there's not a lot of marriages at the end yeah of these comedies <laughs> well and I mean, there are, sure, there are tons of movies out there. have been a lot of movies in the past about superheroes and all that. But the most successful movie right now, you know, just recently has been this movie about a villain. And that, you know. I'm tempted to just cackle wildly, right? <laughs> the Joker. You know, I, I remember this brings me back a little memory from middle school. I was in a cartoon class and I was into the superheroes. So I would draw the superheroes. And I remember my teacher telling me, I said, oh, I have a great new idea for a superhero. I want to do a comic with a villain and a superhero but I'm going to let the villain always win. And my teacher was a pretty Christian woman. She said, you know, you can do that, Ben, but like, I, uh, I just morally have an issue with that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I didn't really understand it at the time. I was 
maybe in fourth grade or something like that. But you see that almost today. And, you know, um, we are more interested or there is definitely a level of interest in our society with the villains of the world. And yet we can't really explain the actual villains that are in our society. You know, you talk about the school shooters, you talk about people that just are so lost in a society where they feel like they don't have a place and, and how do they get to that place? You know, it, is there something we can draw in this poem? Do you, do you have thoughts on that? I mean, how you get to that place, I think, at the end of the day is, right, the line where he says, since for uh, what for this fathomless heart I require, right? Now, that sounds like the old, like, Augustinian confessio, right, from his confessions where it's like the heart, it's, it's a chasm that can only be filled by the infinitude of God. But if there's no infinitude of God that fills, if there's no spirit, there's no God, there's no mind, then really saying, I have an infinite sequence of desires. That is to say, you can't really be happy unless you just experience various things in an intense way. But the kind of intensity he's selling is transgressive. right? He's using what in the Christian tradition we call the fomes peccati, the flame of sin. Like you get excited when you're going to do something bad. Like you're kind of intense. Like, oh my gosh, we're robbing a bank, right? You're, you're sort yeah. of like up. You're addicted to the yeah the adrenaline rush yeah. of like transgression, right? It's exciting to transgress the rules, right? That's what he's offering in a certain sense. But that is essentially transgress the rules. You set a new norm. Now the rules are weaker. The transgression has to be even more violative, right? And you transgress the rules. Right. And now there's fewer norms and the margins of good society go further out and you're constantly testing the electric fence or breaking right. through. So it's a race to the bottom to more and more defilement. And, and you know, you said something. Um, but as a way of life, like right. as, a, as a way of achieving human perfection, the ideal. And I, I think there's a you know, when we were discussing this in the pre-interview, one of the things you brought up when we were talking about the way it shows up in our real world and in movies and in our entertainment um, is that, you know, they try the, the left in America, whenever you have these character films that always show the destruction of somebody, they often show it in, in segment, se segments, you know, it takes A to B, C to D. And there's always kind of this idea that there's no um, social net in our society that prevents somebody from, you know, hitting rock bottom that really causes all this to explode. If it, you know, um, and I made the point, well, it should be education to some extent you know maybe it's not yeah. just mental health care family you know friends yeah the education you get from your education. family friends also from school i mean if you don't and understand a purpose of life beyond just you know the simple purposes and you know beyond just something that's material or subjective i mean that can lead down a pretty boring meaningless life i mean where that that could you know, cause you to turn to things that no. maybe aren't so great. Well, and and law too is a teacher, right? Like it's you can have a law in the book that has no punishment, right? And people are like, you know what? That's illegal. Well, what's the fine? The fine is zero cents or one cent, but it hasn't been enforced in twenty years. It's still telling you like that's bad. Don't do that, right? Like the the, the idea of that the that that people need to have like rules set out. I think those have been, rules as guidance for life given by authority, given by friends, given by school, given by family. 
there's a kind of lack of confidence that we actually do have a telos. We do have an end. We do have a nature. And there really is a, an incredibly effective happiness that comes from living according to it. I think there's a loss of confidence. Yeah. Because this is a powerful, propagandistic, artistic, it's beautiful. These sorts of things are hard to argue with. And they... Right. They just sweep you away, and you're like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe he's right. Like, this I got, I got to be honest though. You know, legislating virtue seems like I know it's something they did during the founding era, and it's something that our country the way it was when we started. But it does seem like today it would be really hard to do. Or I don't know, like you know, and people have so many different ideas on what objective good is or virtues are. I mean, yeah, I think that I think that. Don't be careful. My 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 response would be: be careful not to uh, equivocate. Legislating morality, yeah, uh, would be what the what you're talking about is. You you've established no consensus. There's no basic understanding that even if I'm complaining, I'm not complaining that hard because I kind of know, right? Versus uh, the the opposite, where like we've had a debate, we've had a discussion. And everybody basically knows, like we would, we would, we would like to have this as our arrangement. And there's even like there's lots of laws on the books that prosecutors should be doing, but they don't because they're kind of like, eh, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to get in trouble with that lobby. Yeah, you know, and and that's already on the books, right? So, right. I mean, we do legislate morality all the time with murder, theft. There's right. lots of moral evil that we have no trouble with. It's but the, the pro- it's the problem is you got to get a consensus to legislate a right. moral evil, right? Like that's a fair point. That's a fair point. You know, um, in school, even today, I mean, I, I was telling you earlier as well. You know, it's it seems like a lot of people that go through a system where if if you don't read though the you know read poems like this, if you don't read also the stuff that's not the dark stuff like this poem we read today. But the stuff that, like you said, the stuff that focuses on how to go up. Yeah. And that's important too. You know, just as important as understanding what we're reading here today. Yeah. Or more important. <laughs> you know, this Probably, is almost, hopefully. this is, this is sort of like, how does the, how does, how do, how do you, how is, how does the serpent tempt, you right. know, very skillfully, is, yeah. beautifully with bespeckled scales. You know, this is an amazing poem. Right. Uh, but Yeah. Go, go read some Shakespeare. Yeah. Go read Winter's Tale. Yeah, you know, the poem's called The Ideal, but it's not really, there's nothing in here about, I think, what you and I would both say is the ideal. I mean, none of this really. Well, and Shakespeare's women, the women in Shakespeare's plays, it's it's amazing. They're strong. They're powerful. Yeah. They're virtuous. They're amazing. He really does consistently over the course of his plays put forward these incredible ideals for feminine excellence both of the mind and of the body and of the heart and and but it's human and it's not these cheap ivory vignettes right they're living breathing strong lively and amazing yeah i think baudelaire sells short what he thinks um others perceive some of some of this this good as you know i think he, he does sell it short he starts the poem from somewhere false as to what the actual ideal is. Which is what Aristotle says in the Organon, the logical treatises under sophistical refutations. He says one of the number one ways that a sophist misleads you is he starts from a false common opinion. Yeah. This is what everybody says. This is what's oh, really going you, on. You have no idea how much that bothers me. I know we have to go soon, but that just bothers me so much because 
go, growing up overseas, how I always, always, often tell my audience, you know, they're always telling us what Americans think. You know, this is what Americans think about American exceptionalism. It's rooted in racism. It's rooted in all this <laughs> terrible stuff. Uh, conservatives are really just stupid redneck kicks, you know. Right. Right, they right. love to explain but what we think, but they somehow don't really seem to have an understanding of what that actually is. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us about this today. You know, I think if anything that um, even if you don't agree with everything that maybe we were talking about today, you walk away from the conversation having learned something about the concept of what the, you know, what an ideal could be perceived as or, you know, if, it, if it's taken down as we've described it and taken into a sense of, um, when you don't have objective truth, but you just focus on time as something that is moving and really relativism um, kind of occupying the space, th you get the, t the experience at least to c contemplate these ideas. So thank you, Dr. Meehan, for allowing that to, to happen. Um, you get to do it in the classroom all the time, but now no, it's, it's great. It's always great to be able to shoot it out into the world. Taking it to the streets. That's right. That's, that's what I love about Hillsdale. And I think that's what I've taken away from education here most is the coolest thing is when you read a book like Shakespeare, like you were saying, um, or Aristotle, books that are hundreds of years old or even thousands, and you can see something in those books that speaks to what is happening today. Yeah. So this has been American View, everybody, where Hillsdale meets the nation on Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. With us today has been Dr. Matthew Meehan. He's the director of academic programs and uh, the Worsham Teaching Fellow. If you have kids or if you're a teacher, you got to get his book, um, Mr. Meehan's mildly amusing yeah. mythical mammals or Meehan's mammals. I don't for, feel bad about not knowing the nope. full title for that one. M5. <laughs> yep, M5. That's the shortened version. So thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode of American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation, please check us out on Facebook at American View WRFH. You can also check us out on Spotify or Apple Podcasts under American View, where Hillsdale meets the nation. My name is Ben Dietrich. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of American View. On this episode, we took the time to talk about a literature subject, something a little bit higher, and break it down and how it, it refers to the cultural issues that the country faces today. On Thursday, we'll return to politics. and We'll give you a full update of what's happening across the nation. Thanks for listening once again, and we hope you have a great day.